Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I'm joined by my cohort here. No, that's not the right word. A member of my cohort, colleague? I guess. Is, colleague is probably the right yeah, word. Yeah, that's you a know, pretty I mean, easy the, word, really. You know, there are it's other... It's a good thing you don't write for a living. That's fair. That's fair. You know, the, the, the best part about that is that I know that's the joke I use on you. And now... You do all the time. It as, drives as, me up a wall. As far as the public <laughs> knows, the, it's your joke to use against me. Uh, but nonetheless, I am joined by Catherine Rubino. How are you? I'm good. Well, good. I mean, you know, everything's awful and we're in the middle of quarantine. Oh, well, but besides fair. that, it's fine. Well, I mean, not not too much longer. It looks like small phased reopenings are beginning. True, we're getting there slowly but surely. But that just that just means that we're gonna get we're gonna get the COVID later. Not that not that anything's really gonna be fixed. Well, right. I mean, that's that is an unfortunate side effect of the way in which we've been talking about the disease. The curve flattening phenomenon was never meant to bunker down until it's over but rather well we'll just drag this out longer and i feel like people are going to <laughs> until start the hospitals upset. can deal with it <laughs> yeah a lot of people are upset with uh, the idea that everything's not perfect yet and unfortunately that was never really the plan you're not wrong you're not wrong here but it, it is also true that i think that we all want it it's been a really long time that we've dealing been dealing with this you know i think that a sense of normalcy and a feeling like it will be okay is is not it's not weird that people are yearning for that but you know i think that perhaps the way people are expressing that is not the most productive well we learned from a recent survey that just came out that half of americans would not get the vaccine when it gets developed so See, i mean you know. I don't know what to say. Like, if there, I mean, I wish there was a vaccine. I would get it tomorrow. I would wait online in order to get I, whatever you need me to do, whatever. Give me a vaccine. That's that'd be amazing. I would love it. But I mean, people who don't want the vaccine, like, I, I'm like, I don't, I don't know what else to do for you. You know, I feel yeah. bad for any children or people who are making decisions on behalf of folks who don't want, you know. But other than that, like, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. There's literally, there is a solution that you have chosen to ignore based on nothing. No facts. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, though, that people are, uh, people are not dealing with this in the most productive of ways. I was going to talk about a story that we, we've covered here at Above the Law recently that a Vermont attorney was mad about social distancing rules. There was apparently some, there's like some, it's quaint little Vermont town or something. And Are there non-quaint Vermont towns? I guess that's fair. I guess that's fair. I, I think that like by, by law or state constitution, everything has to be fairly quaint. I mean, listen, there's like an apostrophe in the middle of the store name, like to be like a shortened version. It's really cute. Anyway, and it's like, um, it's an ice cream shop. They sell like maple ice cream. There was a sign off on being like, everyone needs to socially dis- be socially distanced and safe and blah, blah, blah. And this attorney allegedly uh, went up to the sign, started shaking it. And then, according to the police, went into the store and brandished a gun at this clerk before getting angry about the whole thing and, and storming off. And police have arrested her for reckless endangerment. And the state Supreme Court is like, you can't do that. You need to, they have, at least on an interim basis, suspended her until she's able to respond to the allegations. But it's, uh, 
I mean, and, and you know, obviously it's there. She she denies that she brandished a gun, but that that story, you know, if true, yeah. that story is not is not put you in a great light. <laughs> no, it's 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 not an encouraging story, and it's it is not. I mean, but it's a testament to how frustrating it can be to be a lawyer and deal with all the stress of being a lawyer and just, uh, and, and, you know, add this on top of it, you know? I guess. But I mean, because like lawyers have to, you know, they're worried about their clients and everything, but they, you know, they have bills to pay too. And if you're out there and you're trying to cut costs, you're not alone. In today's climate, a five-figure e-discovery bill per month is steep. Don't pay that. Use Logical to reduce expense and control the, your discovery process. Get started today for only $250 per matter, and they'll waive migration costs from competing platforms. For more information, visit logical.com slash LTN. That's logic with a K, C-U-L-L dot com forward slash LTN. That's pretty smooth. I'm pretty impressed with the way you kind of worked that into the conversation. You know, I, I try. But back to the Larry, Daryl, and Daryl up there. Um <laughs> So I mean, I do like that your pop culture references are from the 70s or early 80s at best. I mean, that that is very solidly mid to late 80s. You are very comfortable being an old man. I am comfortable being cultured. I don't know if that says anything about age. But so I I, I mean, I mean, you watched it when it was on, right? We're referring to the New Heart Show. Um, yes, I, I did. I only know because you are obsessed with it, to be fair. I am not myself old. Sure. I am. Sure. I am sure. younger than you are, I mean, which is very so, important to remember. <laughs> as a writer for a legal blog, you should know to put the word allegedly in there. Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, yeah, no, uh, it, it's a show that takes place in Vermont. There's not a lot of Vermont pop culture references to draw on. I, I had to go there. So... This woman pulled a gun. Allegedly. Allegedly. See how see, see? You're, you're getting it. Yeah. Well, there's a difference. I I've, I know that I'm I've seen your driver's license. I know I'm younger than you are. See, again, why are you still fixating on this? We've moved past it. <laughs> so, Have we? I, I, it's interesting that you use the word we. Yeah. Anyway. So <laughs> gun. Uh, so gun toting lawyers, obviously not the best look for an not attorney a good time. in this era. Have you? Come across other stories of lawyers behaving badly in the era of the pandemic? Uh, I don't know. Have I? Are you thinking about a particular one? I feel like uh, that's kind of the the weird part about right now, you know, and everyone's kind of everyone has their own crosses to bear during during quarantine. And I'm not trying to make a comparative statement at all, obviously. But I will tell you, the COVID-19 has been a very busy time here in above the law land writing way more stories than I would normally do because there's just so much news and information out there in terms of layoffs, in terms of salary cuts, and just in terms of terms of like all sorts of craziness happening in the world that I must confess, I don't always remember everything that I wrote, even as recently as today. <laughs> yeah, I guess the the other stories that I've been, I, I was thinking of were stories of attorneys you know, acting out their most petulant attorney lifestyles of demanding responses and so on, even though obviously no one is working at 100 percent at all, you know, and turning on a dime. And we've had judges who've had to step in and say, you know, knock it off. But it is it's a concern about what the practice is like in the in this era. And, you know, we not to pitch our other show as we're doing this, but this is a show that 
you and I also host. Obviously, normally you're not on this show, but it's great whenever you do choose to join us. But we also host <laughs> nice little nice little backtrack there. I appreciate it. I appreciate oh, yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But we also host a special report that just is dealing with the, the impact kind of COVID. Of sure, impact of COVID on the legal profession, and you know our. Most recent episode, we talked to a a divorce and family law attorney about just the ways in which that practice is changing. And it's very interesting, and not to focus on that specifically, but the different ways in which people are adjusting to this mm-hmm. and the new thinking that's going into it. Uh, one of the conversations on the ATL COVID cast that we had with the family law attorney was about how a lot of divorce lawyers in in his experience now are working together almost rather than being adversarial working together to come up with creative solutions to mm-hmm. allow family the wheels of family law to move forward even though we are in the middle of a pandemic we're in the middle of all this uh, like how do you evaluate the worth of an asset that has now tanked because of the economy. Well, maybe we do some kind of dynamic scoring of what it should have been worth, but dot, mm. dot, dot, you know, like, and it's that creative decision, creative solutions that they're coming up with in conjunction with each other just to help both their clients, sir, you know, thrive. Uh, it's interesting. There's a nice thing to say about the cooperative model uh, having a, its moment. So it probably will not last. Oh, no, of course not. I mean, the other thing, too, that we're seeing is certain, especially in bigger law firms, kind of the opposite end of the spectrum of the family law issue is that, you know, firms that have lots of different practice areas under one roof and one umbrella are having, you know, different ways that they're coping with different uh, levels of capacity for different groups. Some groups are very, you know, bankruptcy folks are very, very busy right now. Um, some firms are even looking to expand in the into their ba- their bankruptcy practices. But other other specialties are not very biz- busy. I know that there was a email that went around from a Kirkland partner who was like, you have to be ready to volunteer to everything. You know, you should be at full capacity if you're not. Uh, this is not a gravy train and you know, you will not be happy at the end of the year, kind of this veiled threat about either bonuses or, you know, reviews or whatever. And, you know, a lot of that came across pretty tone deaf because, you know, not and not everyone is has the ability necessarily right now in the middle of a pandemic to contribute in the same ways that might be typical in big law. You know, you don't know whether someone is ill themselves, if they've had a family member be ill, or they have, you know, five children at home, or they're, you know, alone with one child, or you don't you don't necessarily know everyone's immediate pandemic reality and trying to make these decisions and trying to say that, you know, this is the model that everyone simply must follow. Otherwise, you're in big trouble is is really problematic. You know, that that's an interesting transition to some survey results that we've gotten that mm-hmm. are very interesting, which I don't know. Are you tracking that? Uh, I have not seen this. I have not looked at that That women yet. associates are appear to be more satisfied with their jobs now under the pandemic than they had been beforehand. That seems just nuts to me. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it does seem counterintuitive, although, I mean, maybe that's a lot of the lessons that we're learning from this is that counterintuitive results keep coming up. But mm-hmm. you would assume that being forced to work from home, probably without help to the extent that women associates have families uh, without the help of child care would make things much worse. But as it turns right. out, overall satisfaction among women associates are up 
almost a whole point in That's the crazy. I, I wonder if that, I, I don't know. All the stuff that kind of has come out and, you know, there was, I think, a, a Washington Post article about how women are having to pick up more and more of the uh, at-home responsibilities. They're the ones that are juggling kind of their home life and their professional life and even to the point where lots of uh, women are feeling the need to step back from their jobs entirely during the pandemic. But I also wonder if perhaps it's just that people are finally being a little bit more understanding about when, when things go crazy and they actually are somewhat empowered to say, like, I can't do this by three because my child is in the middle of whatever, So, but I will get it to you by six. And people are like, oh, okay, that's fine. But they're finally empowered to, make, to have those conversations because of the pandemic. Well, and that's actually what the survey found, largely. Oh, well, look they, at that. <laughs> look at that. It is intuitive. <laughs> when they inquired why on a one to 10 scale, women's satisfaction was up almost a whole point. The reasons that tended to come back were they felt as though for the first time in a long time, their employers were much more understanding understanding of what was going on. And they felt very much empowered to make these claims that in a lot of instances, when, you know, you've got to take off early to pick up somebody from school or whatever, women tried to downplay, do it, do it quietly, not rock the boat. Whereas, Now, with everybody saying stuff like that, they feel empowered to do so. And that's Mm -hmm. then they're finding out at least at least under the current climate, though, potentially it would be true normally. And it's an internalized problem uh, from years of socialization. But firms are more or less saying, oh, yeah, no, that's no problem. Go for it. Sure. Sure. Okay. Yeah. You're going to get it to me before whatever. That's fine. That works. I was Uh, thrown out of time. (laughs) Like, (laughs) See, and that's that's one of those issues that's similar to the things that you discuss on the Jabot, your podcast. Oh, look at that. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like you listen to my podcast. I I do listen to your podcast. Mm -hmm. I feel Mm -hmm. as though you don't listen to mine a lot. Really? What, What? I mean... Why do you think that? I'm because I ask you, did you listen to it? And you say no. <laughs> I feel like that's the reason that I interesting, come to that Interesting, interesting. I like how you're giving me no wiggle room there. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's what happens when you fact check. Oh, burn. Which is the same as editorializing, which is the same as censorship. At least that's what I hear. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That is that is what I've heard. Yes. Uh, we are right now, by the time this episode comes out, this will probably have played itself out a million times through the rapidly moving news cycle. But we're right now at the very beginning of the era of the executive order banning Twitter. Not exactly what it did, but more or less. So we're, well, you know, we're living in a world where, you know, you may or may not receive a tweet that this show has come out. We'll, we don't know where we'll be. <laughs> well, I know you covered that, that um, the latest executive order, which is supposed to get rid of Section 230 immunity. Is that right? Not quite, but but in large part, yeah. Uh, the argument, the because obviously executive orders can't take down acts of Congress generally. Sure, because of the whole checks and balances. Right. Though, I mean, there are Republicans in the legislature trying to pass a law that would do that. Uh, But the crux of the executive order, to the extent it has any legal leg to stand on, is Mm -hmm. an idea that the administration futs with what constitutes good faith. Right now, Section 230 says online platforms, say Facebook, say the New York Times comment section, whatever it is, if somebody rolls into those pages and says something that is 
illegal or creates liability of, uh, on a civil kind. That's not Facebook's fault. That's the person who said it's fault. Uh, Just because they provide that forum doesn't mean it goes to them. Obviously, with the kind of, and not really in the statute, but it has grown out of it a quasi-negligence standard, sort of. Um, Not really, but an argument that the platform should be making good faith efforts to, you know, avoid these sorts of problems. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. not okay to just say, I run a website where you can defame whoever you want. It's more you run a website, somebody comes on and defames, but you're making whatever efforts you can by having rules and terms of service that say, don't do that. Um, Doing whatever moderation you can, understanding moderation of everything is probably impossible. So there's good faith standards in there and what the executive order seeks to do, among other things, but primarily is to futz with what good faith means in order to avoid what it calls anti-conservative bias, or what the administration calls that. Which is all obviously caused because Twitter put a fact check out for one of Trump's tweets. Right. But the problem is, and uh, my article says this, and as does our friends from TechDirt, they have a, a make the point in a similar way. The thing to remember about this is that it actually has nothing to do with Section 230. There's an attempt being made to tie the two together that to suggest that what Twitter did is somehow a violation of what Section 230 should look like. So therefore, we need to change Section 230. The problem is what actually happened has nothing to do with it, despite the the, The conservative talking point, (laughs) despite what eight above the law alum Kaylee McEnany is saying on TV. Uh, Yeah, um, we should we should we should make a formal apology to all of our listeners for oh, on behalf of above the law. Yeah. I, is, I, I have for years. Oof, sorry. We, we started that. Yeah. Despite that, th- those aren't really tied because the fact checking move was something that Twitter did, which means it was something that they were speaking, right. Right. Uh, which never was the point. It has nothing to do with 230. 230 is when someone else they is are speaking, not liable using their for platform. someone else. Yes. Right. So there is no real connection. There's just a manufactured attempt at a connection because they want to punish Twitter by taking mm-hmm. away this liability shield, which is the undergirding of the entire internet. And so it isn't a really a fair tie. I'm not sure how the weekend media cycle is going to work. Obviously, we'll, you, you'll all be hearing this on the back end of the weekend, and we don't have <laughs> the uh, ability to see the future. But I have a fear that a lot of that that nuance is going to be skipped over, and everyone's just I going mean, to, I, yeah. I, I think that, I mean, this has been particularly true, I think, during the pandemic, but I think that, in general, the inability to deal with nuance has been incredibly problematic. And one of the other points that I make in my article about it, uh, if you want to go back and read that, listeners, is the unfortunate thing that we face as a, a country is if you do care about the internet and the ability of platforms to be interactive without being killed by a death of a thousand cuts of people mm-hmm. filing frivolous lawsuits sure. because of what third parties do on your site, there's not really anyone you can turn to because Joe Biden has already made the statement that he views it as a priority of his supposed, of, you know, his hypothetical presidency to revoke Section 230 immediately. So you have womp, womp. two, you have two sides who both are trying to undermine this law. And the really unfortunate thing is, no matter how problematic 
Facebook and Twitter might be in some of the policies that they have and how they kind of institutionalized blind eyes that they can turn to things raise problems. The revocation of 230 would require them to pay some more legal bills, but they can probably survive. The people who die are the small internet players. You know, Many years ago, we at Above the Law had a comments section and we famously got rid of it. And there were very good reasons that we got rid of it that, you know, you and I were both there for. But one of the reasons that is unheralded why we got rid of it was we foresaw a growing group cutting across party lines Mm -hmm. who wanted to attack the concept of Section 230. And we realized that we would occupy the sort of world where if we started getting hundreds and hundreds of lawsuits based on people being jerks in our comments, that would be far, you know, that that could be debilitating to our ability to function, whereas it wouldn't be to, you know, Facebook. And that's why years ago we got rid of it. And, you know, we are well past statutes of limitations for all that sort of stuff, even if it mattered. But, you know, you can't really get to that stuff anymore because it's all gone. Yeah. And, and, And we're the we occupy that space of a big publication but a big niche publication where, mm-hmm. you know, read by lawyers and law students and legally interested people around the country. But, you know, that's not Facebook who's read by everybody. Exactly. And so getting rid of Section 230 would be a death knell for those sorts of mid-range to smaller players on the Internet. And I think a lot of people rightly believe that those are the folks who keep the internet vibrant and keep the internet from becoming kind of totally a closed a closed box run by four or five media companies. It's fair. Anywho, with all that all that said, we didn't necessarily need to go down that tangent, but I feel like it's a it's an important legal story that's out there and one that we assume will keep going for the next few days. I imagine. Any new layoffs this week? No, we haven't. You know, I, I think that the firms that, that felt an immediate need to do it were kind of quicker on it. Those that are trying to yeah, kind of not make any austerity moves um, are in their position, and we're just kind of waiting and seeing. There are some stealth layoff issues going on, on that we've heard of, though, right? Yeah, we have heard a few folks um, suggesting that firms are using the their review process in order to lay off large amounts of attorneys. It's a tactic that became very popular, you know, in 2009-2010 when the, you know, during the recession, and we are seeing it raise its head again. They these are folks that maybe haven't received a formal complaint about their performance previously or had have, may have had uh, issues but, you know, it's the sort of thing that would have easy, it was easy at a firm to just kind of let it go on and let it slide uh, in good economic times. But now they're using any excuse uh, in order to thin their their ranks and thin, their, thin the number of people that they're paying. It's a pernicious way of getting, of thinning the ranks in order. And it, it's done to maintain good public relations. We of didn't course. lay people off. We just happened to determine that we needed to fire 5% mm-hmm. of our workforce. Just totally spontaneously, just decided I mean, right now that As they, part of our normal review process, we yeah. have had separation from a number of associates. I think that that's how some firms uh, like Look, to say you know, it. <laughs> it. It seems like a normal part of their process. For instance, we did the same thing in 2009. We just do this every <laughs> 10 years or so. It's really problematic. And the, and the really awful thing about it is we just, it, it's hard to track because it's mm-hmm. deliberately meant to be a, a 
obfuscatory. Yep. And it's also meant to be isolating to the associate who mm-hmm. never can feel as though they lost their job. Because of the bad economic conditions. Because condition. of bad times. They sure. also don't understand necessarily that others have lost their job too. These conversations are usually told like, you're the problem, get out. Uh, mm-hmm. They may not know that seven other people in the office who they, you know, in different practice areas that they don't really know also got laid off. And so they feel alone and blame Isolated themselves. and blame, yeah. And, and the truth is, you know, oh, look it. You mean we went from 50 associates in this office to five? And it, you know. <laughs> right, right. Well, that, that's odd. No, and, and that, that's the story that at Above the Law we're trying to stay on top of, though it's mm-hmm. very hard because you – you know, it's designed by to be their hard. very nature. Yeah. Yeah. But if there are listeners out there who see this sort of thing happening, please let us know at tips at above the law dot com because absolutely please. That's the only way we can track it. It's uh, I think sometimes people feel as though as a reporting outfit, we just have eyes and ears everywhere. The problem is you're our eyes and ears, you people out there who are experiencing it. And we need to hear from you. And that doesn't mean we can run with everything once Mm -hmm. we hear it once. You know, we obviously need to get confirmation and more stuff. But more information is better than no information. And we, we operate you know, you're an anonymous tipster. We will, we go, I've gone so far as to take things that I'm, I'm handed by somebody saying, here, you can print this and I will edit what they sent me to make sure it's, make I'm sure like, all of the, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, you say this, but I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is something that's probably going to give you away. Uh, right. You I say will, X number of people in this office. And I'm like, well, maybe we'll just, you know, give a range or, <laughs> you know, I'll make it obvious that. Or people who use obvious colloquialisms uh, sure. that, you know, not too many people use the exact, I mean, that was the, the lodestar thing in the, uh, Trump administration when they're trying right. to figure out who wrote that, who uses the word lodestar all the time. But that sort of stuff we we will do. But we're committed to getting the information out there without exposing our tipsters. So by exactly. all means, send us that sort of information. Well, this was fun. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for having me on. I mean, you're ostensibly a, a host. Like you're you're Aww. on the website. You're like you just you just <laughs> often blow me off and don't do it. Uh, do I blow you off, or yeah. <laughs> is that how that works? I mean, on the other hand, I mean Ellie, I think is still listed, and he has is pretty clearly very left much not the no podcast. longer a part of this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Someday maybe we should get him on as a special guest. <laughs> maybe we maybe maybe so. With that said, uh, thanks. Uh, We covered a lot of ground. Uh, Glad for everybody to join us. If you are not already subscribed to the podcast, you should do that. You should give it reviews. You should give it stars and write words about it and just help everybody else find it. Go down to the, you know, not now, but when you're allowed to leave your house, go down to the street corner and yell out loud that everybody should listen to Thinking Like a Lawyer, whatever it is, when that day comes. You should be reading Above the Law always. You should be following us on Twitter if it still exists by the time you hear this. I'm at Joseph Patrice, and she's at Catherine One. You should be, what else? Yeah, that's... I think that's it. Oh, no, no. What am I talking about? No, of course that's not it. You should be listening to our other podcast, the ATL COVID cast, which deals with the COVID-related stuff, the Jabot, which Catherine hosts about women and diversity issues in law firms. You should be listening to all the offerings from the Legal Talk Network, which are too numerous to mention mm-hmm. by by specifics. You should check out the Legal Tech Roundtable conversation. I don't even know what it's called per se, but... 
it's a webinar chat that is every Friday at three that uh, a lot of legal tech people have, and I'm frequently a panelist. You should be liking all those things, and you should check out Logical, who sponsored this episode, and then I think we've covered everything. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. So there you go. Thanks. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.